Today on Consequence, we learn that Christian scientists have a good reason for thinking our world isn't the one God created. This is all based off of the first couple of chapters of Genesis where it said God created the world and told um, it was very good. And the Christian scientists sort of looked around the world and went, huh, it's not good. So clearly it must not be the world. <laughs> it makes a lot of um, sense, actually. <laughs> This is Consequence, true stories about false things, presented by the James Randi Educational Foundation. I'm Brian Thompson. On Consequence, we look at the harm caused by believing in pseudoscience, superstition, and the paranormal by letting the victims of those beliefs share their stories with you. Today, I'm talking to a former Christian scientist named Bonnie. According to her family's religion, illnesses and injuries shouldn't be treated by medical science, but should instead be placed directly in the hands of God through prayer and the careful attention of a Christian scientist healer. But long after she left her faith behind, Bonnie discovered that this belief in faith healing had terrible consequences for one family member in particular. But first, I asked her what it was like growing up as a kid who never had to go to the doctor. Well, it's pretty normal, except for the part about not going to a doctor and kind of having God everywhere in your life. Um, yeah, there's, it's, it's, it's not like, I don't know, the Amish or something. Um, the, the the one thing is that whenever anything needs to be decided <laughs> with with my parents and also three out of four of my grandparents, whenever anything needed to be decided, um, the response was, oh, well, we should ask God. Um, and my parents would tell me to do this when I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, and so, like, anything from, oh, I can't find my keys to... Um, which job should I take to should we move across the country is all, well, let's ask God. Um, well, a lot of people that are religious talk in that same sort of way. They'll, they'll pray for something. They'll pray for guidance. They'll pray for advice. How was that expected to manifest itself to uh-huh. you? Like, did you expect to hear an actual voice talking to you or did... did... Oh, yes. Yes. Um, my parents both claim to hear the voice of God. Um, and I think my, uh, my grandmother too, and my, maybe all three of them who were Christian scientists, although I, I didn't have quite as, you know, intimate a, a knowledge of their, uh, Christian science, but oh yeah, you're supposed to hear God. God is described as quote, a still small voice. Hmm. Um, and I never could like, and I would try really, really hard. Um, uh, and, I was never sure. I would actually sort of like think to myself, is that God? Because it sounds an awful lot like me. And I was never sure. Um, maybe it's God, but it never really sounded like God. It sounded like my my own brain talking to me. Um, which now I think, I mean, I think that that's what my parents are actually hearing. They're having a conversation with themselves when they when they talk to God. So how far back does Christian science go in your family? Um Definitely my mother's grandmother, who um, 
my my grandfather on my father's side is a practitioner, um, or was he was a practitioner? He's he's been dead for several years. Um, a practitioner, um, by the way, is a is a Christian Science healer um, who heals uh, by praying. Um, and my when my mother wanted to marry my father, my great grandmother was um, very suspicious and not willing to to give him much of a, the benefit of the doubt because he was kind of this hippie with long hair and a beard uh, until she heard that his father was Donald Ripberger, and then she said, "Oh." and thought that he would, must be wonderful because he was the son of a practitioner. Is it a large community? How many Christian scientists do you think there are? Um, it's actually not a large community, and it's been falling uh, steadily since, well, since germ theory was um, discovered. Christian science sort of is steadily declining in membership. So growing up, it, was it a big part of your social life? Did people think it was weird that you, you never went to a, a doctor? Or did you think it was weird when you were a kid? No, I never thought it was weird, um, because I believed everything, right? Like, um, the interesting thing about Christian science, at least the way that my parents and the people that I knew practiced it, uh, is that there's no judgment about people going to a doctor, and doctors aren't evil. I've heard that other religions who also don't use doctors tend to think that they're evil. Uh, Christian science, at least the way my parents practiced it, don't think doctors are in- evil. They think that they're, you know, wonderful people doing their best and just don't know that there's a better way. Mm. Um, so, you know, going to a doctor is perfectly fine for people who don't understand that you can pray to God and cure disease just like Jesus did. Okay, so they don't think that going to a doctor is, is harmful, that, but just praying is better? That's correct. Yeah. So how do you how do you become a, a practitioner, like you said, a, a healer? What gives you the authority as a healer to to heal and and pray over people better than I'm, others? I'm glad it's actually like being a car mechanic. Um, so it's not like like this, you know, shamanistic like ooh, very special person. It's actually just like anybody can heal, just like anybody can fix their own car if they bother to practice, right? and figure out how to do it. But people who become practitioners, like people who become car mechanics, perhaps have a, an aptitude for doing it, and I put that in quotes because obviously I don't think that they actually have an aptitude, but they, they believe that they have an aptitude for doing that, um, and that's what they want to do. So then they go and they practice more and they study it and become a practitioner. Hmm. So what happens when somebody has a, a serious illness, um, like a, like cancer or, or something like that? Like what what's the treatment like? What do they do? The the practitioner will pray both by themselves while they're not talking to the person. They will have time that they set aside to pray for that person, and then also they will be they will talk on the phone with the person and pray with the person and encourage the person um, and offer them advice for how how they should pray on their own. Is anyone encouraged to supplement with with going to the doctor? I'm not sure that it's encouraged, but at least the way that my parents practice it, I've heard that there's a faction that for which this is not true. Um, but it, the sort of mainstream Christian science, where at least in California where I grew up, um, it may not be encouraged for you to go to the doctor, but it is perfectly acceptable. And nobody will 
make fun of you for it or, you know, think that you are a bad person. Um, the only person who will judge you is yourself. And that's actually kind of the problem because nowhere is officially is that a failure if you go to the doctor instead of, you know, using Christian scientists. But the entire sort of culture of this religion makes you think that you are a failure. Um, that's actually, in my opinion, what killed my grandmother. She had, um, she had high blood pressure and had a stroke. Um, and my grandfather, who is the only one of my, this is my maternal grandmother, and my maternal grandfather was the only one of my grandparents who was not a practitioner. When she had a stroke, he took her to the hospital, and, and um, she got um, blood pressure medication uh, in patches, uh, and the doctors assured my grandfather that if she just wore these patches, she her blood pressure would be low enough and she wouldn't have uh, another stroke. Um, and she wore them for a little while, but then she started refusing to wear them. And she actually kind of got into arguments with my, with my grandfather and my aunt, uh, who wanted her to wear these patches. And um, but she refused. Uh, she she felt, I think, that it was weakness, that she, she should be able to do this on her own. And so she stopped wearing them, and she had another, uh, she had another stroke, and she went into a coma. So is it, is it the primary belief of, of Christian scientists, this we don't go to the doctor thing, or is it just something that the outsiders see as the, maybe the weirdest thing, and that's what we've, we've tacked on to the religion? It's actually sort of um, a conclusion of Christian science, if that makes sense. Um, Christian scientists have certain core beliefs, um, and at that core is that anybody can do what Jesus did. That Jesus, uh, in Christian science, Jesus isn't divine. Uh, he's just the um, most perfect example of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so anybody can do what Jesus did. You just have to get into the mindset of God. You have to communicate really well with God. You have to be open to receiving God. Um, I'm not explaining this very well. If, if you want a really good explanation, I can give you one, but it's kind of complicated and takes a long time. But I can absolutely give you one. I just have to sort of go back a few steps. So you tell me if you want. Sure. Like from the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, like, I, okay. right now I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking <laughs> you could shorten it and say you get into the God zone. But I don't know if that's uh, if that's disrespectful or if that's accurate at all. No, I don't think it's disrespectful. Um, Christian Science doesn't believe that this world is reality. Um, Christian Science believes uh, that uh, what other people, what other Christian religions might call heaven, or which uh, or what an Eastern religion might call um, nirvana, is the real world, and it's uh, an entirely sort of spirit-based world um, where God exists right? And that this world is simply a representation for beings, humans, um, who have not yet achieved a level of understanding um, so that they can perceive the world as it is. So it's actually far more Eastern than it is Western in some ways, because um, as you as you learn and grow and achieve enlightenment, it's essentially achieving enlightenment, although though Christian science would call it more um, 
Christ spirit, um, you you begin to perceive more and more that how God actually created the world. This is all based off of the first couple of chapters of Genesis, where it said God created the world, and um, behold, it was very good. And the Christian scientists sort of looked around the world and went, huh, it's not good. So clearly it must not be the world. <laughs> it makes a lot of um, sense, actually. <laughs> so there's this perfect spirit world that's pretty much essentially like God personified, you know, like that world is God. Um, and the closer you get to being able to perceive what God is and perceive what God uh, has created, um, the closer you get to heaven, which isn't a separate place, it's just that we perceive this as being a separate place. There's no hell. Um, hell is what you make of it, actually. You know, like if you're stuck not listening to God and doing stupid things or, or um, vicious things, um, then you are making your own hell. Um, and and it's, there's actually sort of, in Christian science, sort of a, a reincarnation kind of thing, uh, except that Eastern reincarnation, you always come back to the same world. Um, in Christian science, like, once you've learned the lessons of the world as we perceive it here and now on Earth, then um, whatever lessons you've learned, then you'll move on to another plane of existence um, and hopefully keep learning lessons until you finally perceive God in his entirety and, you know, get to be in heaven forever. Hmm. So when you, were, when you were younger, did you ever run up against that belief in a negative way? I mean, did you ever suffer a, a broken leg or any sort of injury where... Maybe you should have gone to the doctor. I actually, the only uh, sort of terrible physical thing that I had, I didn't actually really have anything. Um, I was I was sort of cautious as a child, never broke a leg, never broke any bone, actually. I never have. Um, I did have childhood asthma, um, which was pretty bad for a couple of years, and I would have to stay home from school. And that was, that was pretty bad. It's pretty scary to not be able to breathe. Um... My mother actually, my mother and father actually count that as like a major like win for Christian science because after a few years it sort of gradually got less bad and then went away entirely. And as an adult, um, I now, you know, know that all the things, at least in my life, that they counted as a win are things that naturally ebb and flow. Um, my allergies or the other one. I had, um, I developed allergy, a really bad allergy to cats in 7th and 8th grade, um, and it gradually faded. Uh, and my parents count that as a win for Christian science as well. Um, whereas allergies just sort of ebb and flow that way. Yeah. Um, in terms of, like, childhood, like, running up against that in a negative way, the way that I ran up against it in a negative way is that I never felt like I was talking to God. And then when I got sick, I would be trying desperately to talk to God because that's the way you get better, and it wouldn't be working, and I would be sick and miserable, and so I would get very, very angry, and I would um, I would have tantrums about it. Um, and my parents would always call up my grandfather, who was a practitioner, my father's father, um, and he was one of the most sort of calm, peaceful, quiet, good people I've ever met. It's actually because of him and my, my father's mother, my grandmother, that I was a Christian scientist as long as I was, because it, it seemed to me logical that if somebody like my grandfather 
believed in Christian science and also believed that this is what made him the kind of person he was, that there must be something to it because he was such a calm, peaceful, loving person. Um, And it took me a long time to sort of disassociate the one from the other. Mm. Uh, So they they would call him up, and my grandfather would essentially talk me down just by talking to me very, very quietly and calmly. Um, and listening to me and not, and, and, you know, I'm listening and understanding my frustration. Um, he would essentially talk me down and, uh, and I would sort of, I, I guess, not quite regain my faith, but I would at least be willing to believe that I would understand it at some point. Um, that's kind of how my childhood went. Like, I had these questions this thing didn't seem to work, but all the adults in my life believed in it. And so I sort of kicked the questions down the road. Like, those are questions that grown-ups understand. And I, you know, I don't understand them now, but eventually I'll get there. Mm. Um, so I, I used to have tantrums pretty much every time I got sick because it, it never worked for me. Yeah, so why do you think it worked for other people? I mean, I, I know we're, neither one of us, I don't think, is a psychologist or anything, but from your experience living with these people, having these people in your family, what do you think made them step over that line that you could never step over? I think it might have been Richard Dawkins in one of his books who, don't quote me, I can't remember who. I'm um, going to quote reading, you. <laughs> I remember reading a book where it was... Um, it was Richard Dawkins, I'm nearly sure of it, in The God Delusion, who said that uh, once upon a time people believed that the voices in their head that talked to them, which are really their own brain talking to them, were um, gods because they just didn't know any better. And as people got more sophisticated, they realized, hey, I'm talking to myself. Um, I think that I think that my parents are just people who are more susceptible, perhaps because they were brought up that way, um, but they actually believe that that's really God. And so if if you actually believe that God is talking to you, then you're much more inclined to give God the benefit of the doubt. You know, like, well, I don't seem to be getting better, but I feel a little better. That's probably because of God. You know, like, it's it's really, I think, just confirmation bias that... it's And it's confirmation bias where there's a really, really strong incentive... To, to believe it, mm-hmm. um, stronger even than, you know, for instance, political beliefs or things like that. But, like, if you have this God figure that you actually think talks to you in your head and, like, you feel like you have a direct link to the divine, then I think that you have an incredibly strong um, pull to, to believe that what you're doing is working. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess in this modern era uh, where everybody is pretty well safe most of the time, uh, it's actually probably rarer than people think to um, to suffer any sort of major injury or disease or something like that that would really test this kind of faith uh, through most of your life. I mean, you can make it into adulthood without breaking a bone. Like, yeah, I've never broken a bone either, and I was running and jumping and climbing trees and all sorts of stuff when I was a kid. Um and uh, or, or kind of contracting any sort of deathly illness that you have to be hospitalized for. So yeah, I guess it's it's fairly easy for people to just never have this 
this this faith really really tested. Um, so I think that's I think that's exactly right. Um, and plus, you have a strong a strong incentive to do it yourself because then you feel as though you are um, progressing, you know, towards being understanding God. Mm-hmm. My mother actually broke a bone um, in her leg. She broke her leg at some point and absolutely refused to go get it um, set, even though that's one of the few things in Christian science where it's just sort of culturally done. There's there's a few things in Christian science um, where there's no actual explanation given, but it's just something that's done that you go to the doctor. Um, they are setting bones, um, childbirth, uh, dentistry. Uh, and in my opinion, it's because back in the 1800s when Christian science was founded, the few things that doctors could do well was pull out your teeth, deliver your babies, and um, set your bones. Mm. So that's always been this sort of cultural thing in Christian science where those things are just, those are just things you go to the doctor for. Um, I think bone setting might have a justification in that they're not actually doing to you anything to you, they're just immobilizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's sort of no justification at all for the dentistry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and But my mother wouldn't go to get her, her bone set. She sort of just stayed off of it until it sort of knit back together on its own. Um, and it, it, I don't think it's ever quite been the same, but I believe that she counts that as like a major win. You know, she didn't have to go to the doctor to get her bone set. She managed to um, pray and it, reco- and it recovered on its mm. own. Um, or, you know, in her view, it recovered um, because of the prayer. How old were you when you decided that you were no no Christian scientist anymore? Um, it was a... Looking back on it, it was a very long process, but I actually clung to the Christian science identity far longer than I actually believed any of it. Um, in high school, I, I started to ask a whole bunch of questions and get sort of flustered when I didn't get the answers, sort of upset. Uh, I challenged my Sunday school teachers teachers a lot. Um, and by by the end of high school, I was really not believing any of it, but sort of, sort of just hung on to the identity of it until, um, until 19, um, when I sort of had this catalyst and and uh and just dropped everything i dropped christian science and god the same the exact same night i was like i i just don't i realized i just don't believe either in christian science or in god um the world makes so much more sense if you assume that there isn't a god rather than assume that there is Mm. so let's talk about this case that's that's on tim farley's website what's the harm um there's somebody on his website that is listed as a victim of Christian scientists who, who died of meningitis. And, um, and I know that this is someone that, that maybe you're related to. So can you tell us a story about that and how you discovered that? Yeah, I was actually um, only six or seven. Um, my, uh, my cousins um, in that family lived in the same town as we did. And so I actually, you know, I went over and visited Natalie and played with her as a baby um, a couple of times. And then she got sick. And Christian scientists don't talk about illness and they don't talk about death because that's um, a way of introducing 
negative thoughts into your head, so then you'll be thinking about the illness, and then the illness will take hold. It's it's essentially magical thinking, um, I guess, in reverse or in you know in the negative form. So they just don't talk about things. Um, I had, uh, I, and then and then they they told us that she died. And Christian scientists don't have funerals or anything like that either. So after she was dead, there was n- no mention of her or anything, except occasionally somebody would mention her as if she were still alive. They'll do that, like um, you know, in like a list of grandchildren or something. They would mention Natalie as though she was still alive. Bonnie first learned about what happened to her infant cousin when she came across her family's name on whatsthaharm.net, the exhaustive database of pseudoscience victims maintained by Tim Farley, one of the James Randi Educational Foundation's research fellows. I talked with Tim about Bonnie's story and about the current state of Christian scientist faith healing. I was at TAM, the amazing meeting, and uh, a lot of people come up to me at TAM and thank me for my site, What's the Harm? And, uh, and it's always very flattering. They always tell me about how they've uh, you know, researched issues on the site or found stories that they could use in explaining some of the issues with people. And Bonnie came up to me and uh, said, well, I, that she had a very personal thing had happened. And I, I, I was curious as to what that was. And she said that there had always been this uh, mystery in her family of how her cousin had died. And she never got a straight answer. And I guess she started Googling or looking around on the web. And she found the name of her cousin on my website. Uh, which has never happened before. I've occasionally had people who had personal relationships with the stories um, contact me. I've never had someone actually find out about a case that personally affected them on the site. So it was a very, uh, I, you know, I didn't even know how to react. I was so shocked. Yeah, she said it's pretty common in a Christian science family for bad things to happen and just nobody tells you exactly what's going on. Um, right. Probably because a lot of times maybe they don't even know what's going on because they don't go to a doctor to get anything diagnosed. Right. So so according to the news story about this, what actually happened? The cousin was eight months old in 1984 and was uh, diagnosed uh, with H-flu meningitis. And the family retained a Christian science practitioner for treatment and didn't go to a hospital. And... Um, the uh, infection uh, lasted for about two weeks, and um, the girl ended up dying, went through a lot of pain and suffering. Um, her legs became rigid, she had convulsions, um, and uh, just was suffering all for the last two weeks of her life, and then finally died. And there were um, uh, already some Christian science parents had been indicted in, in uh, that state for um, deaths, and then uh, there was an indictment uh, laid on this case, and uh, there was a conviction for felony child endangerment. What kind of sentences typically get handed down for cases like this, when people get arrested for for basically killing their kids by not getting medical attention? Um, is it is it as harsh as like a, as like a murder, or is this like a lower class manslaughter? No. Yeah, it seems to normally be treated. It obviously it varies. 
states, you know, how the state laws are in, in the United States. So every state's a little bit different. And some have, uh, you know, exemptions for parental religious choices that are quite uh, large. And others have, uh, you know, not as much of an exemption at all. But in general, my experience has been in following these cases that it tends to be more like a manslaughter case. So you'll get like maybe a year or two years, it'll be a suspended sentence or probation or something like um, like there was a, another case in um, in uh, Loudon, Tennessee, I think, uh, where it was a 10 year old case and they had finally brought charges um, in, a, in a death from 2002. And uh, it was uh, the parents there were sentenced to probation. Well, one of the big concerns is if there are other children in the house and, and whether or not they'll get care. And sometimes orders are put into place that, you know, uh, instructing the parents to get proper care for the other children. So the state can do that. They can intervene and say, you have to get medical care. Do, do people do people sort of brush up against that as far as it being a violation of their religious yeah, well, freedoms? Yeah, that's the big objection is people say that that's a violation of their religious freedoms, which, of course, you know, comes under the First Amendment. It's a free speech issue sort of thing in the U.S. So people get very upset about it and say, well, our religion tells us that this is what we're supposed to do and you you can't tell me how to practice my religion. But the, uh, the, the courts usually, you know, what comes into play usually is whether or not the child is a minor. Uh, you know, with a minor child, there's a there's a, uh, a kind of a duty of care there because the child can't make medical decisions for themselves, um, and then the court can can get involved in that uh, and say, okay, fine, parent, you can make whatever choices you want for yourself, but you can't force these choices on the child. Or at least that's how it's gone down in many cases. And obviously, again, it it varies from state to state and jurisdiction from jurisdiction. But it's not just Christian science. It's a, there's a number of smaller sects um, that have gotten into trouble with this sort of thing. Uh, particularly recently, there have been a number of cases that have popped up just in the last year or two. Do you have any idea why that might be? A particular church in um, Oregon City, Oregon, that's notorious uh, for these types of cases. There's been, you know, every year or so, there's a, another case out of that same exact church. That because of that, and because of some work by journalists up there in Oregon, uh, they have uh, kind of pushed back on it, and there's been sort of an outcry to say, "Hey, we need to close down this this religious uh, exemption in our state because you know kids are dying." And there've been some particularly egregious cases where uh, kids have died of things that literally are not, you know, are just not life-threatening diseases. Things where it's just like, here, here's some antibiotics. Take take two of these every day and you'll be fine sort of things that nobody would even think twice about but if you don't treat it and you leave it untreated for weeks and weeks and weeks it suddenly progresses to you know some horrible horrible situation and the kid ends up dying yeah well thank you so much for shedding some light on this issue and uh, if people want to find out more about these types of cases they can always go on what's the harm.net and who knows maybe you'll find you'll find a family member well, I hope not, but uh, <laughs> yes, that's where the site is. It's like the worst kind of Ancestry.com. Yeah, yeah, you don't really want to find family members, unless you find them on the GPS page. Yeah, okay, yeah. Look there first. How does the afterlife fit into the, this idea that, that this is the wrong world or this is not, this is not the real world? Well, it's a little bit nebulous. 
Um, but my understanding is that um, you're on this earth to learn lessons. And um, if you are like Jesus or the few other people in the Bible who are named as, as having ascended, then you've learned everything that you needed to know on this plane of existence, and you go straight to God. You know, like you've figured out everything, and so there's no, you don't die because you just sort of disappear because now you understand everything, so you're not on this plane of existence mm-hmm. anymore. Um, all the rest of us die because we haven't learned all of our lessons. Uh, we don't have, um, you know, enough Christ-likeness. Um, but that's not bad. It just happens, and it's sad for everybody who stays behind. Um, but the dead person isn't dead. They've just moved on to learn more lessons on whatever plane of existence is next. And that's and it's very um, nebulous as to what that plane of existence is. Um, when you're dealing with children, particularly my cousin who was pretty young, I mean, in terms of, like, infants, it's even sort of more nebulous. Like, what did an eight-month-old have, to, you know, time to learn anything? And I think they feel like those are lessons that the parents learn, like, because an eight-month-old can't pray for itself, so the parents are doing the praying. Mm. Um, but it's not, you know, and it's sad that the kid died, um, but not really, because they're not really dead. You know, God doesn't let anybody die. They're on to whatever plane of existence they're going to be on next, which, again, is really nebulous. But I don't think they go straight. I don't have... I don't see any reason why anyone would think that they go straight to God. Mm-hmm. They would just go on to their next plane of existence. Uh, so, yeah, and other religions, I guess, deal with that, with the idea of reincarnation. But you're saying Christian science is just you go somewhere else. Yeah. Interesting. And again, this is all according to the sort of Californian Christian science that I grew up in. I'm sure that there are multiple different Factions. Oh no! Um, this is that 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 hippie granola eating California Christian <laughs> science. It 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 might be. <laughs> I mean, I perceived it as being the mainstream one, but it's only my experience. <laughs> right. Um, another thing that I think is interesting about Christian science and a little more Eastern rather than Western is is um, I don't know when I was in middle school. I guess when I learned about something that the Dalai Lama had said, um, and I. And it was sounded exactly like something that, you know, that I had been taught. And so I went to my mother and I was astounded. And she said, Bonnie, I don't know where you got the idea that Christian science has the cornerstone on faith um, or, or truth. And, um, and that sort of blew my mind. And I don't think that other religions are that way. I think that other religions actually think that they do have the cornerstone on faith and truth. Hmm. Um, but Christian science doesn't view it that way. Buddhism is awesome. It's not quite as awesome as Christian science. You know, you're not learning your lessons quite as fast as you would if you were in Christian science. But it's pretty awesome, which is why, which is one of the reasons why Christian science is so declining, because there's no missionary work of any kind. I mean, I mean, the big reason that Christian science is declining is because of germ theory, but they also don't do any missionary yeah. work. So, okay, so when you, when you grow up in a religion like this, and I, from the way you're talking about it, it sounds like you didn't have very many negative experiences with with the religion itself um, other than just the illogic of some of these practical guidelines for how you're supposed to live your life do, do you think that that aside from aside from the medical thing do you think that it's a it can be a positive influence 
that's a hard question. I want to say both yes and no at the same time. I think that there are positive influences in it, um, but do they outweigh the negative? Um, and I'm not sure that they do. Um, and I'm, and I'm more on the fence about this than my sister would be. My sister would say, absolutely not. There's nothing positive. Um, but I think that there... Okay, you know what? I think that if you were going to have a religion, right, regardless, that aside from the medical aspect, Christian science would be a pretty decent one to have. It tends to be pretty liberal. My parents are both um, in favor of gay rights. It tends to be very compassionate. There's no hell, um, there's, and therefore there's, there's no, um, you know, trying to save people against their will. Um, and there's no hate. So if somebody is going to have a religion and you, could, and you could somehow divorce the medical from the rest of it, it would be kind of a great religion to have. Um, but all the things that you, the way that you end up viewing the world um, when you think that there's a God that intervenes in your life, I think that there are negative aspects to any of those religions, and Christian science has them. Hmm. So how do you talk to somebody? How do you reason with someone who's a good person, a smart person, but happens to have let's just let's just boil it down to this one thing like if you were trying to convince a family member uh, who you saw was seriously ill but could be helped by medical science um, actually seek out medical treatment how do you talk to them without completely throwing their entire world out of whack or have you ever been in that situation before oh oh i have um and i don't know the answer my sister and i have had to talk to my dad um, about an illness of my mother's. And the tactic that we took was to say, these are our feelings. We feel afraid. Um, We don't believe this works. Obviously, mom does. But for our comfort would you please try to convince her to go to a doctor? And because there's so few Christian scientists, Christian scientists marry non-Christian scientists a lot. Um, And so this argument is very familiar to people. Um, Like, for instance, if there are children in a a mixed Christian science, non-Christian science marriage, the deal usually ends up being... Uh, of course, you can pray, you can take them to church, you can take them to Sunday school, but if they're sick and I'm scared, they go to the doctor. And so that's a that's sort of an accepted thing. Um, so we just turned it around a little bit um, for my dad, and he understood completely. However, he was not successful in getting my mother to go see a doctor. So <laughs> I'm not really sure. <laughs> mm. And my mother's illness got better on its own, or she would say it got better because they prayed about it. Um, I'm not even sure what her illness was. I don't know if it's something that will reoccur. Uh, and my parents uh, are now in their 60s, and this is the decade when three out of four of my grandparents died. Yeah. 
um, wait, that's not true. Um, my grandfather was in his early seventies, but they, but their life, um, their life expectancy is much, much lower. Um, and so my sister and I are actually having to deal with that now-ish um, to try to figure out how to talk about those things. And we've come up with these plans, uh, and we have no idea if they will work. Well, I don't want you to okay. reveal anything, because I don't want your... What if your parents were listening and they, they could plan against it? Well, I'm not going to tell my parents about this podcast, <laughs> and I hope they don't find out. Um, yeah. Not because they would be mad, but because they would be hurt. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine. Um, I mean, if I were, I think if I were in your situation, I would be a nervous wreck all the time. I'd be, you know, those people who, um, like the invention of websites like WebMD was the worst thing that could happen for them, like hypochondriacs. <laughs> right, right, exactly. I would be like that constantly. Like if my parents said anything was wrong or they were feeling anything, that was, I would be on WebMD immediately trying to diagnose them. That, that, would, that has to be nerve-wracking. It's, it's actually sort of horrible. The way that, at least the way that I've had to deal with it is to pretend it doesn't exist and to just kind of harden my heart, which will, which works when nothing's really wrong, and then when something does go wrong, then you're even less prepared. But the, but the option, as you say, is to constantly be worried. Um, it's sort of awful to think about. Like my parents could live for thirty years more, but it's very likely that they will die within the next fifteen. Um, and they're and they're both overweight, so you know that actually narrows it down even farther. Um, and I say these things, and I intellectually I understand them, but I'm nowhere near close to sort of integrating them really into my brain. So if my parents die suddenly, I will be totally at a loss. It will be really, really hard. Um, just like it was when my grandparents died. Yeah. Uh, I lost all three of my grandparents before I was 19. Oh, sorry, not all three of them, three out of four of them. The three that were Christian scientists, I lost. Wow. So what did they say when, when your cousin, uh, when your cousin passed away from this meningitis? It says, according to this uh, news article, that her, her parents were convicted of felony child endangerment charges. We knew that her parents um, had to go to court to fight this. Um, when I was growing up, the, the religious loopholes for not having to vaccinate your kids uh, were, tr- were held up to me as, you know, some of the greatest achievements of living in a country with the separation between church and state and all of that. Like, it was like the, one of the greatest things. And I view it now as being terrible. I'm actually... Um, because of my background in Christian science, I actually believe that vaccines should be absolutely mandatory, with no exceptions, unless your immune system can't handle it, for any public school. And I think that if you are that religious that you can't bring you, yourself to vaccinate your children, that you need to either homeschool them or have them in a private school. Um, oh, oh. so in other words, you're an evil Marxist socialist. Uh, what's some other words I could throw at you? Um <laughs> Terrorist? There, you're a terrorist. terrorist. You're a vaccine terrorist. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, 
which and when I was little, it was exactly the opposite. I was sort of proud that you know everybody else had to get vaccinated, but I didn't because you know I knew the one true way. I knew better. Mm. Um, it makes you feel you know special, like you know something that other people don't. Um, but now it's completely different. Like I, I see, I'm anti-vaxxers are actually one of my. I don't know exactly how to say this, but like everybody in skepticism who, you know, has their little thing, um, the thing that they care about most. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I think that I care about most is, is anti-vaxxers. The, they, that trend really, really bothers me. Um, because the only reason that I didn't have every childhood illness on the planet was because of vaccinations, because I had herd immunity from everybody else being vaccinated. And I did get chickenpox. Um, I don't think they had the vaccine for chickenpox back then. Uh, and it was painful. I didn't have, like, the normal version of it where the kid is outside playing and doesn't care. I had a, I had actually had a really painful um, bout of chickenpox. Um, and I, like, if there hadn't been herd immunity, I would have gotten everything. Yeah. And, there, and I wouldn't have been taken to the doctor for any of them. That's another weird thing about having Christian science parents is as an adult, you realize um, that your parents, who love you to death, probably would have let you die if you'd gotten some sort of wasting disease. Um, and they would have prayed for me next to my bed the entire time. But unless it was something that shocked them into taking me to the doctor, like a car accident, if it was some sort of thing, you know, that started out slowly and got and, and you know got a little better, got a little worse, got a little better, got a little worse, I would have been dead uh, had it been life-threatening. Um, and my sister, too. And that is so surreal to realize, you know, as an adult that you, you missed that mostly because of herd immunity and chance. Wow. Well, I'm glad you're not dead. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> that's probably, that's probably like the, the lowest form of compliment you could possibly give someone. <laughs> but thank you thank you so much for talking to me and uh and and sharing what you know about this and 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 being so open with me uh i hope that it was useful that's all the time we have for consequence special thanks to bonnie for sharing her story and to tim farley for all the great work he does at what's the harm.net If you've been harmed by pseudoscience, superstition, or the paranormal, and you want to share your story on the show, please get in touch by emailing consequence at randy.org. Consequence is a production of the James Randi Educational Foundation. To find out more about the JRF's mission to promote science, skepticism, and critical thinking, just visit randy.org. That's R-A-N-D-I dot O-R-G. Consequence is produced by me, Brian Thompson, and our music is by Planet Shifter. Thanks for listening.